Amen. He is a chain breaker, and we're glad to see you here this morning. Welcome. Uh, welcome to those who are with us online there, uh, whether you're on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, any of those platforms, welcome there. Uh, be sure to heart, to like, to share, to subscribe, give the thumbs up, follow us there on Facebook. Uh, be sure to click the notification bell there on YouTube. Uh, all those things just help to get the word out there about our services. And welcome to those who are listening on the phone live streaming uh, also. If you need that number, we'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, just see me after the service or you can call our church office uh, and we'll be glad to give that to you. If you also are at home and you have access to our church website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's just a few tabs over under the info tab that you can download today's worship bulletin. Uh, these are at the doors as you came in, so if you need one, be sure to get one. They're in uh, the windowsills on the right and left also. And then also our children's worship bulletins, they're in the windowsill over here. Be sure to get one of those if you need those for your kids. Uh, we have the printed version here, but online they're under that info tab also, and you can send that link to anybody that you want. And then we also have our prayer guide that's there under the info tab. These are on the table out across from the offices uh, in the, uh, rack, the magazine racks there, so uh, be sure to get one of those if you need uh, that also. But just want to say welcome this morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Let's get a little bit excited about that, <laughs> to be in the house of the Lord. So, Brother Mike, come on. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my feet are still popping from that first song. So, I like it. I like it. Well, let's see how you can go with this one and sing, All Hell, the Power of Jesus' Name. Just stand and praise the Lord. Hymn 202. Oh, 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 oh. 
As we come to our missionary moment this morning, you'll see that we have Joy and Sean Price uh, who are on your screen. Their story is also in your bulletin, so be sure to read more about their story there. But they uh, are International Mission Board missionaries that moved to the castle capital uh, of Europe to share uh, the hope of Christ. As everywhere around the world COVID-19 affected, it did them also and complicated things. Uh, and so they looked at new opportunities to reach out to the people using Zoom meetings for Bible studies and, and, and other sessions to worship with, with their people who they had reached out for uh, and to. Uh, but they also reached out to their neighbors by making some small gifts uh, that would fit through the mail slot. Uh, to their neighbors. Uh, they, uh, it, the, what they put in it was uh, her testimony, Joy's testimony, uh, some tea bags uh, and chocolate and use that to reach out uh, to their neighbors around them. So pray for the prices as they continue to reach their area with the gospel and that the acts of love that they are showing uh, will begin to produce fruitful relationships. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for them as well as all of our missionaries. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just the wonderful privilege we have to come before your throne of grace this morning. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to us and that your presence would be here with us. Father, we come before you asking your forgiveness, asking for you to cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that especially as we pray on behalf of our missionaries, you would hear our prayers. We pray for the prices and ask for you to watch over them, to protect them, to keep them safe in your arms. And we just ask your blessings upon them in a powerful way. Lord, those acts of kindness and love that they have shown to their neighbors, we pray, God, that you will bless those efforts and that they will uh, come back, Lord, in being able to have reached out to those people and seeing you respond uh, in your Holy Spirit working in those people's lives. So uh, bless all of our missionaries. Continue to provide for all of their needs. And Lord, as a part of that, bless us that we would be able to uh, give more to help support those missionaries, uh, whether that's through those special offerings we do each year uh, or just our regular ties and offerings that go to support those missionaries also. And so we ask your blessings uh, upon us in that way. Remind us, Lord, to continue to pray uh, for these individuals. And so bless us this morning as we come to worship you, Lord. Sometimes we just come with heavy burdens on our hearts and we just want to come and lay all those things at the foot of the cross and ask for you to stir our hearts uh, to draw us closer to you and father I pray that you'll make your presence known give us a peace in our hearts that passes all understanding in Jesus precious name we pray amen 
and amen. Well, it is good to see everybody that's here this morning. Hope you've had a blessed week. Uh, let me just remind you that you can do your online giving online there on our church website. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab, easy platform, or we have the offering envelopes in the windowsills uh, this morning around. So be sure to pick up one of those to put your offering in the offering plates down here or at the doors uh, as you leave. And so just wanted to remind you that. Uh, I don't have any other special announcements. You'll hear some of those at the very end. So Brother Mike, if you'll come again. Oh, Master, let me walk with thee. 279, it may be uh, one you haven't heard in a while, but uh, praise the Lord through it. Oh, Master, let me walk with thee. Children's Church will be gathering over here on the piano side during this next song. Turn with us at, uh, and sing hymn 447, and let's stand and praise the Lord through trust and obey.
Amen. I did forget to mention that if you're a guest here with us this morning, uh, be sure to pick up one of the gift bags that are on the sides of the stage. If you leave out uh, the back door, they're on the table uh, out in the foyer there. And there are some out here uh, on the table too, out across from the offices. So be sure to grab uh, one of those. Just a little gift that we want to say welcome uh, to you. Has some information about our church uh, in it also. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to John chapter 16 and verse 16 through verse 24. Here in John 16, Jesus is going to talk about the, the transformation of turning sorrow into joy. And so we want to begin here, if you will, with verse 16 down through verse 20 in John chapter 16. Would you stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word? A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we know that there are individuals who are here, maybe even those who are watching or listening online, who their hearts are filled with some various sorrow in their lives. And Lord, if we are not there currently ourselves going through sorrow, we know that there are times throughout every one of our lives that we face sorrow. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to understand some things from this passage that uh, Jesus taught to his disciples to help them with the sorrow that they would experience when he goes to the cross, uh, when he's buried in the tomb, but then also to experience the joy when he's resurrected from the grave. And, Father, I pray that those principles will help us also through whatever sorrow we may face to know, Lord, that there is joy in the morning. So, Lord, whatever sorrow we may be going through or whatever sorrow may be around the, the corner for us, Father, I pray that you would turn all of that sorrow some way, somehow, in your perfect will, in your perfect way, into joy. So we give it all to you, and we ask for your blessings on your word this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So in this passage, there are literally three vignettes, if you will, three little subsections uh, that each speak uh, of finding joy in the wake of sorrow. Now, this text is somewhat easy to divide because of those three subsets. Uh, they all speak to joy themselves. So they are, verse 20, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Verse 22 tells us that no one will take your joy away from you. And verse 24 tells us that your joy may be made full. Uh, so if life has 
pressed in on you this morning or if you experience some pressing in in the future, if you're facing some circumstance that has literally taken your breath away, I want to invite you to, to hear and to give an ear to the Word of God as the master teacher here, Jesus himself, shows us as he shows his disciples how to experience this radical transformation that turns our sorrow into joy. Now, first of all, notice what Jesus says. It's a perplexing and, and strange prediction that he gives here in verse 16 down through verse 20. That's our first point. It's a strange prediction. Now, I've heard some strange predictions uh, in my life, but here, here's a roundup of some of the, the, the looniest predictions that I came across in doing some research this week even. Uh, it, it's from, the, from Time Magazine, uh, from the beginning of Time Magazine in 1923. Here was the first one. It said in a future prediction that future humans will be a cyclops. Dr. Thomas Hall Chastide, in a 1933 article about the face of the future, the future eye, explained uh, Chastide, uh, would be in the center of the face below a high forehead where the bridge of the nose once rested. Now, I don't know if you can see that on the screen there, uh, but that's some VR glasses there. I don't know, we're getting a little bit close, aren't we, to a cyclops there with one eye? Another uh, loony prediction that was given in Time magazine from an individual back in 1951 said this, that the grandchildren of the television age won't be able to read. Uh, covering the construction of a new TV station in 1951, Time magazine addressed the potential downsides of a newly television-obsessed culture. It said our people are becoming less literate uh, by the minute. The writer lamented, suggesting that in the zero-sum game of recreational hours, TV would eat up more and more of the time people once spent reading books and thinking thoughts. By the 21st century, they said, our people doubtless will be squint-eyed, hunchback, and fond of the dark, the writer predicted. But why am I carrying on like this, the author said. Chances are the grandchildren of the television age won't even know how to read this. Maybe a little bit there of truth that we don't read like we used to. Another prediction was that every medical malady will be a treatable will be treatable with a miracle pill. In the Swiss, if the Swiss doctor Francis Odie's 1956 prophecy ever came true, it said that hospitals are going to find themselves in a tough spot. One of the most distinguished surgeons in Europe at that time, Odie imagined that all the victories which have been the pride of brilliant surgeons, he said, will be forgotten, replaced by the discovery of a substance which in the form of a capsule will capture the sources of energy that will bring recovery within hours. Such a magic antidote would obviate or alleviate the, the need for surgery in most cases and the physical pain inflicted by tearing the body open and sewing it back up. Wouldn't that be great to have a pill that would just cure you? Here was another one. Uh, don't get any ideas, Samantha, but it said this. Uh, spouses will be able to secretly control one another's moods with grouch pills. <laughs> A 1966 article had something to say about these marital relationships, that if one spouse is in a particular cantankerous mood, his or her partner, predicted the Rand Corporation, will be able to pop down to the corner drugstore, buy some anti-grouch pills, and slip them into the coffee. 
Uh, of course, the last half century certainly has seen a lot of uh, advances in medical uh, things there, uh, with psychiatric medications even, like Adderall and Prozac, but as far as an instantaneous mind control, we're not there yet. Here was another one that I thought was interesting. A lot of people are getting their uh, vegetables out of the garden uh, right now. It, this was another prediction that tomatoes will be square. The mechanization of agriculture during the middle decades of the 20th century had drastically changed the face of farming. And so some observed uh, former Agricultural Secretary Orville Freeman believed that automation would chill the ageless intimacy between man and his land. Others saw nothing but progress in all of that advancement. But still others saw square tomatoes. Uh, another phenomenon in the not-too-distant future, uh, the research department uh, at Deere and Company said, is square tomatoes, which after all could be more easily packaged by machine and fit better in sandwiches. I don't know. I like my tomato sandwiches. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> but you do bite down on those corners and there's not tomato there in there. <laughs> well, when Jesus gives his disciples this prediction here, the predictions that he made here were certainly spiritual, but to them they sounded no less strange than these we just mentioned when they fell on the ears of those 11 men who first heard them. Notice this interesting comment in verse 16 that Jesus says, A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. And the disciples are scratching their heads, thinking, what in the world is Jesus saying? We're not going to see him, but then we are going to see him. How can we have both at the same time? Well, the key is to properly interpret two things, when and what. When is the little while in this prophecy, and what will they see? Some say the little while is referring to his second coming. It is true, every eye will, will see him when he comes on that day, Revelation 1 verse 7, but I don't believe that's specifically what this text is, is mentioning here. Others say the little while was referring to the three days until the resurrection, and that could be a part of it also. Uh, they wouldn't, uh, he would be dead and they wouldn't see him, then suddenly they would behold him. There's truth to that, but I think there's more that's meant here than just that. The context here is in reference to the confirming work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, notice what he says in verse 17. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. He didn't say that in verse 16, but he had said that at some point, and, and they were asking that also. So in verse 17, that phrase, because I am going to the Father, connects back to verse 10 and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a play on words here that we don't get in the English uh, in verse 16, 17, and verse 19. So he says, you will no longer see, and he uses the word there, every time it's translated for us, it's just the word see, but it's different Greek words uh, that are translated here. So the first one there is the theorio, uh, which is where we get our English word theater from. So you will no longer see me. Uh, a little while, and you will see, is orao, uh, which means to perceive or to understand. Uh, 
And so here's what he was saying. He was saying, listen, in just a little while, you won't see me anymore. But something is about to happen that will make you understand me and my purpose after I'm gone even better than you do right now. So that, that interesting comment there in verse 16, and then their initial confusion in verse 17 through verse 19. So all through this whole discourse that Jesus has been giving them in the upper room, and as they're probably on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane at this point, we haven't heard the disciples say anything. It's all been Jesus. Jesus has been telling them about the Holy Spirit who's coming and giving us uh, a lot of details about that. We haven't heard from them in these two chapters, but now their silence is broken, at least amongst themselves. And it's broken by an awareness that they don't even have a clue what Jesus said. Now, if you've ever read a passage, including this one, and thought, what is the Lord saying here, then you're not alone. What in the world does this mean? Well, down in verse 25, Jesus admits that he's speaking in figurative language. Uh, his message is still somewhat veiled because he knew they wouldn't understand him even if he spoke more bluntly. In other words, if he just told them straight out, th it would blow their mind. They wouldn't understand it anyway. So the truth is a lot of times when we don't know what God is doing, we wouldn't understand even if he told us what he's doing. We would have more questions if he told us what he was doing. And so sometimes when life is pressing in and, and trouble is pressing down upon you, you may not always understand what God is doing and what God is saying. But rest assured, Jesus knows what he's doing. Look with me, if you will, at verse 18. Verse 18 says, So they were saying, What does he mean? Uh, by a little while. We do not know what he is talking about. So in verse 18, they say, we do not know. Then notice in verse 19, the very first two words, Jesus knew. So they didn't know, but Jesus did know. What a contrast there. What a statement and an affirmation of trust that even when we don't know, Jesus still knows. If I had a surprise for my wife or if she had a surprise for me, either one of us could, could lead the other around with closed eyes uh, and, and lead her around in a virtual blindness or, or she do the same for me. Why? Because of trust. It, it brings joy and sorrow to know that we can walk by faith with the Lord Jesus, trusting that he knows even when we don't know. It's a song that we sing, Jesus knows all about our struggle. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. We sang that song uh, not too recently. You know, and that's, that's such an encouraging truth for us that Jesus knows all about your struggle. He knows everything that you're going through, and he knows why you're going through it. You may not understand, why am I having to experience this in my life? Why am I having to carry this burden around? Jesus knows. 
And, and that's an encouraging thing for me. So we see here that there's an interesting comment in verse 16. There's initial confusion in verse 17 to verse 19. And there's also an incredible isolation in verse 20. Notice verse 20 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So the beginning of verse 20 there seems like anything but consoling. In other words, Jesus tells them, guys, here's what's going to happen. Everything's going to be great, and it's going to be fine, and, and it's all going to be a bed of roses. Just trust me. He doesn't tell them that. And he never tells us that. He says, you are going to weep. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to hear that. I, I, what am I going to weep for? I mean, that means I'm going to cry. I'm going to uh, notice the word here that he uses in, in verse 20. He says, you're going to weep and you're going to lament. Wow, strong words. Weeping is speaking to the external pain. Lamenting is internal. And he's saying to them, guys, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. You're going to hurt like you've never hurt before. Not a consoling message at all. Not a comforting message at all. You're going to hurt like you've never hurt before. You're not just going to weep. You're going to fill it internally. It's going to fill. You ever had that kind of crying, that kind of weeping before where it just felt like all your insides were turning over? That's, that's what he's saying here, uh, that it's going to be like that kind of hurt. But, but, notice there, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Leon Morris said the word but is a strong word, one that points to an emphatic contrast, something totally unexpected. There surely was weeping at the cross, wasn't there? At the crucifixion, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there all those followers, all those disciples, all those followers who were there gathered at the cross, they were weeping in their hearts, weeping physically from their eyes. They were lamenting because Jesus was being crucified. But there was certainly wailing as they placed those spikes in the hands of Jesus. But. There was grief and there was sorrow as they took Jesus down off that cross and they rolled him in that linen cloth and then they took him over to a tomb that had never been used and they placed him in that tomb and they wept and they were grieving and they were sorrowful. But, but on that first resurrection Sunday morning, the weeping came to an end. And it was turned into joy. John 20, verse 20 says this. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad or rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Their sorrow had been turned into joy. 
Now, now get that, what he's talking about here and what he says here is going to happen. Their sorrow wasn't replaced with joy. Their sorrow was turned into joy. In, in other words, the same event that they thought would destroy them was actually what delivered them. I mean, ask them about the cross on crucifixion day as Jesus is hanging there on that cross, and they might have said, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. Ask them on resurrection day, and they might have said, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus. If you went over to the day of Pentecost and you asked them, they would maybe say, God has made him both Lord and Christ when this Jesus whom you crucified. What a strange prediction Jesus gives his disciples, but also in that prediction, a comforting word. I want you to see secondly in this chapter, in these verses, a simple parable that Jesus gives in verse 21 and verse 22. Now, if you remember what a parable is, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, God's love is like a father uh, with a prodigal son. Uh, evangelism is like a farmer sowing seed. The kingdom of God is like a merchant who found a pearl. The turning of sorrow into joy, as we're going to see here, is like the birth of a child. So notice first the pressure that will crush you. The pressure that will crush you. Look at verse 21 in the beginning part here. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. So let's get the picture of what's going on here, this pressure that will crush you. Every mom in this building understands and knows the pain that Jesus is talking about. A pregnant lady asked her doctor, when's the best time for an epidural? And the answer is after you found out you're pregnant. That's when you need to tell her. <laughs> so we see sorrow equals heaviness equals regret. These 11 men, they are hours away from the most traumatic event of their lives. It was one they thought was going to usher in the kingdom. That's what Jesus was going to do. And that one who they thought was going to usher in the kingdom is going to be hanging between two thieves before lunchtime tomorrow. One songwriter put it this way, the dreams they had dreamed were not what they had seemed now that he was dead and gone, the garden, the jail, the hammer, the nails, how could a night be so long? The pressure that would crush them. You know, when you experience sorrow in your heart and you're weeping and you're lamenting as Jesus is describing what's going to happen to his disciples, it feels that way. It feels like you've got pressure on top of you. It feels like you've got pressure from the sides of you. You're just being squeezed from every which way. And sometimes you just feel like, I can't take it anymore. It's just too much pressure. But I want you to see also in the same verse the perspective that will change you. The perspective that will change you. Because notice what it said in the first part. Here's the sorrow. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. She's in a lot of pain. She's crying. She's weeping even. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being was been, has been born into this world. Now, I remember when my wife uh, and I went in for the birth of Christopher. Uh, all the others I was there for also. But this one was somehow different. 
you know, you have the fear of the unknown, you have the nervousness of the delivery room, and, and she was in a lot of pain, but I was about to pass out. <laughs> I never did that with the girls, but with Christopher, uh, I was like, honey, I gotta go sit down. And she's like, you're not going nowhere, you're staying right here with me. <laughs> That's just the way she looked too, probably worse than that. I was fearful then, but the nurses said, hey honey, he's gotta go sit down or we're gonna be attending to him because he's gonna be on the floor because I was about to pass out. There it was just a lot of pressure there, but all of that changed when our eyes were on that little baby boy. Happened with all three of them. You ever had, that, had a baby, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you see that little baby and you hold that little baby, precious. I mean, think about it. She, she had grief, but now she has the gift. The pain of that birth had given way to the presence of the baby. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 reminds us of this truth. I'd encourage you to jot this verse down somewhere to go back and look at it once again. It says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Whew, that is such an encouraging verse. When you're going through suffering and sorrow and pain and heartache, to be reminded that this is a light, momentary affliction. And that God is taking all of that that I'm under the weight of, that is pressing uh, down on me and around on me, He is taking that and preparing that in me for, uh, to use me uh, for, and it's a, He says He's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So when you see what the suffering produced, when you're through the suffering and you see what God did, when you look and see how this difficulty that you may be going through is bringing you closer to the Lord and it's bringing Him greater glory, your perspective begins to change. And when your perspective begins to change, it begins to change you on the inside. These disciples here learned that the thing they thought God was allowing to happen to them was actually something he was causing to happen for them. So there's the pressure that'll crush you. <clears throat> there's the perspective that will change you. But then I want you to see also the promise that will comfort you. Uh, notice verse 22. <clears throat> so verse 22, well, yeah, verse 22 says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one, no one will take your joy from you. Again, another powerful promise that no matter how bad things get, no matter how much the pressure is on you and the suffering and the sorrow and is pressing in around you, you can still have joy in the midst of all of that and nobody or nothing can take that joy away from you, not even the devil. Jesus here, he doesn't pull any punches 
about being a disciple for them or for us. He says to them, you will have grief. You will have sorrow. He says, you may be even having sorrow right now. And then there are two tremendous words in verse 22. The word now and the word but. You also have sorrow now, he says, but. Well, let me tell you, if you stay there with just the first part, you missed it all, he says. You're going to have sorrow. You know, and, and we could be all negative about that and, and, and just focus on just the sorrow that, that's maybe even going to consume us. Don't get so consumed with the now that you forget about the but. Jesus is giving them the greatest consolation you can give to a hurting person, the assurance that the pain is only temporary and that it will not last forever. I promise you that. It will not last forever. It may last longer than a day. It may last longer than a week or month. You may have pain and sorrow for years. But eternity is forever. And so in light of eternity, this is but a, moment, a, 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 a light affliction that we're going through. In fact, Psalm 30 verse 5 says this. It says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Endure equals last equals tarries. The Greek word is lun or loon. It means to lodge, to stop over, to stay the night. It was used to describe a, a hotel reservation. Weeping has a reservation tonight is, is the essence of what it's saying there. But joy has dibs on the morning. The truth is, we don't know how long the night will last. We don't know how long this little while Jesus mentions here is going to last. For the disciples, it lasted until the third day. But like a mother seeing her new baby for the first time, it's going to be all worth it one day when we see Jesus face to face. That's an encouraging word for us. The strange prediction, a simple parable, and finally now a spiritual prayer. Go to verse 23. Sorrow can turn into joy in the waiting room a little while. Joy can turn into, or sorrow can turn into joy uh, in the delivery room, the baby comes, and sorrow can turn into joy in the prayer room. So the next section here is on prayer uh, as, as well, and it would be easy and legitimate to leave these verses with the ones that are to come yet. But I believe that the subject here of joy also links these two verses with the ones that come before them. So I want you to see the revelation that this prayer shows in the beginning of verse 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Now that word ask there doesn't mean that there will be no request. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious for anything about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You desire and you do not have because you do not ask. So the word ask or, or question means to investigate, to interrogate. There will be no more questions, Jesus is saying, about who Jesus is. 
There'll be no more questions about what did he come to do. No more questions like, where are you going? What do you mean you're going to the Father? What, what is this business about the, the Spirit coming? What about destroying the temple and, and rebuilding it? You know, we're, we're just like these disciples were. Uh, those of us who have experienced the power uh, of the resurrection, we often ask questions to Christ, but we never need ask a question about Christ. Now, I may not know who all of you are, uh, and you may not know truly who I am, but by grace through faith, we know who Jesus is. He is our fortress. He is our defender. He is our strong tower. He is our rock. He is our shelter in the storm. He is our redeemer. He is our sin bearer. He is our atoning sacrifice. That's our experience with him. According to John 20, verse 31, this book has been written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have life in his name. So when we come to him in prayer, we may not understand what we're talking about, but we can know who we're talking to. And in those moments, we may need an answer from Jesus, but we don't need answers about Jesus. We already know who he is. We already have the Word of God that tells us who He is and how faithful He is. And you can rest assured on the promises of the Word of God. So that's the revelation that this prayer shows. But we also see the reason that this prayer speaks. Go on with verse 23 into verse 24 in the beginning. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. N until now you have asked nothing in my name. So that phrase, in my name, isn't some religious formula uh, that we tack on to the end of prayers uh, that sort of magically sanctifies our prayers. Praying in my name prayers means that what you're praying is consistent with the character and the person and the authority of Jesus. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying the kind of things Jesus would pray. That's the way our prayers need to be. And we're going to get to chapter 17 in a little while here, and we're going to see that Jesus prays for the eternal glory of the Father and the Son. Someone said that an in-my-name prayer has the goal that God would be glorified in the answer. And an in-my-name prayer doesn't come to God to change his mind, but to receive his mind. In the simplest terms, this prayer, even offered in the midst of sorrow, doesn't come to God and, and treat him like some divine Santa Claus. He's not some uh, bellhop or, or heavenly version of Siri that, that you just sit around and, and, and wait. he's sitting there waiting to look up information at your beck and call. No, when you're in your hour of suffering, that ought to lead you as a child of God to a sweet hour of prayer. We ought to come with an open ear to hear heaven, to simply ask, Lord, show me your will that I might do it and glorify you. You see, the thing we're thinking about in our difficulty is how is God going to be glorified in it? If you say, I'm not really concerned about the glory of God in my sorrow, then that attitude is our real problem. It, 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 and it's a far more serious problem than the thing you, thing you think is a problem. Which leads us to the last part here in the final part of verse 24, the results that this prayer sees. Ask and you will receive 
Why? So that you can have what you asked for. No. So that your joy may be full. So, and in my name prayer is always answered because it brings us as the petitioner into the divine alignment with the will of God, with the Father and the glorification of God the Son. This answered prayer ultimately leads to joy because it's focusing on what do you want, God, more than it is on just getting an answer from God. It comes with an open ear more than an open hand. Gimme, gimme, gimme. No, I'm listening, Lord. What are you trying to tell me? It doesn't come to question God with, what are you doing? As much as it questions him, what do you want me to do? Later on, think about this, later on this very night, the Lord is going to kneel in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to pray such a prayer that the Bible says his sweat was as drops of blood. In his humanity, he's going to make his request. But his ultimate request was a directive from the Father. It sounded like this, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was then, after reconfirming the Father's will for the cross, that Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. The disciples are just a few hours away from seeing him die in agony on the cross. We're just a little ways from seeing that in the passages that we're going to continue going through. Jesus does that in pain on the cross. He does it in pain for us and with joy. One writer says that answered prayer based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and springing from an obedient life is a powerful force in turning sorrow into joy. So understand this. It's out of our experience of living out the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we can say, uh, like a mother did who buried her two children, you'll find that Jesus speaks life into death, that He speaks hope into despair. He speaks truth into delusion. He gives meaning into futility and peace into panic. It's by Nancy Guthrie and hearing Jesus speak into your sorrow. We don't have to go looking elsewhere to learn this spiritual secret. On the last night before the crucifixion, Jesus stops here to teach his disciples, including us, how to turn our sorrow into joy. It's by trusting in Him and resting in His promise that He wants to make your joy full, even in the sorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank You this morning. What a powerful Scripture, but yet so often a hard Scripture, Lord. Because when we're going through the sorrowful times of life, it's just hard for us to focus on anything else but the circumstance and the situation that we're going through. It's hard for us to focus on anything else than the pain we're experiencing. And we don't know how long the pain is going to last. 
whether it's a, a physical pain or an emotional pain or, or a psychological pain or whatever kind of pain it might be. Lord, only you know. And we know, God, that you will take and use all things for your glory and for our good if we're part of your family, part of the called. Father, I pray that you will remind us of these truths. Lord, some of us are going through some sorrowful times in our lives. Maybe we've lost a loved one. Maybe we're just experiencing so many pressures upon us that we just feel like, Lord, I can't take all this pressure anymore. And yet you're telling us here, Lord, yes, there's going to be those times of sorrow. Yes, it's going to be painful. Yes, you're going to experience all of that. And it's going to be to the point that you're going to weep and you're going to lament and you're going to experience such pain like you've never experienced before. But, but, help us, Lord, to remember that in the midst of our sorrow. That one little word, but, but joy comes in the morning. But our sorrow will be turned into joy. And Father, I pray that we will be able to give you glory and honor when we come through on the other side and we see, wow, this is what you were doing. Lord, help us in the midst of the sorrow to come to the place that Jesus prayed in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And Father, I pray that you will indeed begin even now in the hearts of those who are experiencing great sorrow and grief, Lord, to begin to turn that sorrow into joy. And Father, I pray that we will find power in your presence and a peace that passes all understanding. May you fill us and complete our joy. Lord, we know one day that joy will be complete. And Lord, that we will be able to look back and think that this was just a momentary light affliction that we went through here on this earth when we stand before your face there in glory. So Father, help us to keep our focus on you. And Lord, may you change us and transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're here this morning and maybe you need to make a decision to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you come forward in this invitation? Maybe God has been working in your heart to come and to join this fellowship. Or, or maybe you just simply need to come to the altar and pray. Whatever decisions need to be made as we stand, as we sing number 321, the Savior's waiting. Would you come?
got a couple of announcements, but these ladies are going to make an announcement first. I'll let Miss Rima go first. I just want to reassure you that you have not slept through September, October, and November, and it is suddenly December. But we are going to celebrate the month of August with Christmas in August. Uh, we are gearing up early this year for Operation Christmas Child. That will be the end of November, the 1st of December. And our mission team encourages you to look for those back-to-school sales, particularly those that the writing utensils, notebooks, and journals that we can pack in those shoe boxes come uh, November. Also, we're encouraging you, if you would take an ornament from the tree, it represents a wow item that we might include in one of those boxes. So we encourage you to just pick one up, um, do shopping early before the hassle of it all later on, and uh, help us out with that project. We'd appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, next, we'll have uh, Linda Smith to come and uh, make an announcement. Ready or not, Awana is almost here. Awana is a high energy club for boys and girls where they are taught to know, love, and serve Jesus as they rotate through the church for, with Bible stories, scripture memory, mission, music, games, and supper time. Parents, if you have a child age four through fifth grade, Awana Club will kick off the end of this month Wednesday, August 30th, from 5.30 to 7, rain or shine. There will be fun, food, hay rides, and gift bags. Take a picture of the kickoff posters as you leave and invite your friends and neighbors. Also, at each exit, there are registration forms, Awana invitation postcards, and an Awana flyer that explains in detail what Awana is all about. Pictures are worth a thousand words, so there's about 10,000 words on this flyer. Okay. You can also register online at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Now, there are between 30 and 40 children that come each week, and we are praying for the workers that are needed. You can work directly or indirectly with these children. So if the Lord is leading you to serve in Iwana this year, there are several opportunities available. If you want to help, but you can't work the whole evening, we have need of volunteers to listen to verses between 515 and 545, right before prayer meeting, and Wednesday night meals that begin September 6th um, they need a few volunteers to clean up after the meal from 6.30 to 7. If you feel led to serve, but you have children younger than four years old, there is a Wana Puggles program just for your children, birth through three years, in the nursery. Um, please check the volunteer sheet outside the pastor's office, or come see myself, Pastor Jim, or call Amy in the, in the church office. If you want to volunteer, but you only have one day out of the year to do it, 
There is a separate volunteer sheet that for helpers needed at the kickoff. It's also on the bulletin board. There is a planning meeting set for WANA volunteers Wednesday, August 23rd from 5.30 to 6.30 where there's a meal and child care. God bless Highland Baptist for the spiritual and financial support you give the children in this church and in the community because you know kids matter to God. Thank you, Miss Linda. Also, Mark Raymond has that he's chairman of the personnel committee, has asked that the chairman of the stewardship committee as well as the music committee meet him over here on the side by the piano. We have some prayer concerns. Uh, we would like to remember Dawn Adcock's sister, uh, Janie Towey, and she's had a stroke and she's in the Nashville Hospital. It's good to have Miss Linda Jones back with us. She's been in the hospital, but she's back with us, and Miss Linda's proud to have you back. Uh, Christine Cranford, the mother of Pat uh, Durham, her skin cancer has come back. And so, also, we have some uh, funeral announcements that we need to make. For the family of Regina Rogers, her aunt, Mary uh, Grady Summers, we call her Aunt Grady, her visitation will be this afternoon over at Kilgore Funeral Home from 2 to 4, and the funeral will be at 4 o'clock. Sherry Yates, her sister, Faye uh, Stacy, her service will be today at 2 o'clock at Manchester Funeral Home. And also, Rick Miller's mom, her service will be next week, August the 12th, at 4 o'clock at the Woodbury Funeral Home. We also have, don't forget, prime timers on Tuesday, the Deacon's elections on August 20th and 27th. With that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for our church and for each person that's here. We want to thank you for Brother Jim and Brother Matt and Brother Mike and others that lead our congregation. But most of all, Father, we want to honor and praise you through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask your blessings upon our lives. We ask that you forgive us when we fail thee. As we go out into our homes and the byways, we ask that you take the message that we heard here today, apply it to our lives so that we can serve you better as well as serving our fellow man. And Father, we're thankful for all your many blessings. We ask your guidance upon our lives. And in your name, we give the honor and the praise through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.